Welcome to the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. Welcome to another edition of the Youthscape podcast. This is part two in a two-part series. You might want to go back and listen to part one if you haven't heard it already. Uh, Still with us then, I'm Martin Saunders. With me, as always, Rachel Gardner. And we are looking at the substantiated allegations against Mike Pilavachi and all that it means for the youth ministry community. In part one, uh, we looked rightly at the impact on uh, the victims at the centre of these substantiated substantiated concerns. Uh, But now we're going to look also at our collective experience. So we've got a brilliant guest to help us do that today. Before we do that, though, I think if I was listening to this, Rachel, I would be, uh, you know, I'd be asking the question, you know, what exactly did these people know? Now, it's Mm. it's pretty obvious. It's pretty well known uh, that you and I were both very close to Soul Survivor. Yeah. So I wondered whether we could spend a few minutes just talking about our experience of it and why, you know, people have asked the question, people have asked me directly, why, why didn't you say something yeah, yeah. about all this? So, um, you know, as much as you're happy to, you know, how how connected were you to, to Soul Survivor and Mike Pilavachi and, and how much of this behaviour... Mm. Were you aware of? Did you did you see? Man, it's complex, isn't it? Um, so without sounding like I'm being defensive, mm. I think the reality is when when you're a sort of an invited speaker at events, so seminars and and talks, you sort of you do operate within the, the kind of the green room yeah. where all the speakers are, but you're not part of the inner circle. I think I admired the inner circle. Mm. I thought the three of them were great at interrogating each other. They would think very carefully about the language they would use. I'm talking about Ali, Andy and Mike. I felt that was a really good model of accountability. I liked that they would be up there together. So although Mike was very much clearly the one who was sort of holding it all together, I quite liked that he had two people that he listened to quite a bit. And I thought as a woman in coming into leadership, Ali Martin was incredibly, and it's, we want to make it clear, don't we, that she's been exonerated yeah. of all um, against her. Um, but she really encouraged me in leadership and soul sister her, and I did that together for many years. And and, and I saw a woman take centre stage of a big event, yeah. and I wasn't really seeing that anywhere else. So I felt very much brought in, trusted, mm. encouraged to speak. Um, but I didn't have a close relationship with Mike. And I think I put that down to the Billy Graham rule. I thought actually as a woman in leadership, mm. most men in leadership don't seek me out. They don't. I don't get access to phone calls and can I meet up with you in a way that possibly I would do if I was male? And so that's something I've just got used to and I understand yeah. that. And, and I respect men for that, but I have kind of put up with that in a way. So I just put it down to that. That's why he didn't really, he wasn't really interested in really getting to know me. But I will tell you one thing, and this is something that for a while, for the first few months sort of haunted me a bit. I, I remember thinking quite clearly Mike never introduces me with a joke mm. or that banter, or which we now look at and go, oh man, we all saw that. And yes. it 
felt yucky, yeah. but we ignored our instincts mm. because mm. everybody was laughing. Mm. Um, I was like, why does he never do that to me? He, yeah. I always get these really straight introductions of she's my friend and she's a great communicator. And I always felt... Oh, he, I'm not on the in crowd. Yeah, now, yeah, looking yeah. back now, I'm like, oh, my goodness. What, you know, what's dysfunctional in my ego? That, mm. that that instead of saying, actually, that was appropriate. Everybody should have had that kind of welcome. Yeah, yeah. What I had was safe and good. I was craving, why doesn't he make a joke about my shoes and ruffle my hair? And, mm. and, and, and sort of, so it's, it is interesting, isn't it, where these spaces go? And I think my reflection is... Actually, we, I saw, I saw bullying behavior, yep. but I didn't name it as that because it felt pantomime. Mm. And I only ever saw Soul Survivor operate in front of me on a stage. Mm-hmm. I never saw Soul Survivor during the week. I never saw. So it's an interesting question, isn't it? That, that I thought I saw a pantomime festival thing, mm-hmm. but actually what I was seeing was what was happening everywhere. And I think yep. that pattern feels like, stuff with Russell Brand. I mean, that's, I don't, mm. don't know if that's a helpful thing to, to bring into the mix, but, but Russell Brand was telling us what he was doing. Yeah. We were just all laughing In at it because it felt yeah. like pantomime. And I think I, I, I just, that's been a kind of a little check on me. Like, yeah. oh yeah. So that would be Martin, you've, yeah. and you were an editor of a magazine and covered stories for yeah. years and you, and I mean, I, I've been around Soul Survivor for for nearly 30 years. Mm. And uh, when I was in my previous role as editor of Youthwork magazine, um, I haven't mentioned that for a while, have I? I used to throw that <laughs> in all the time. Um, I, um, uh, I had Mike as a, as a columnist mm. and so had a very, very um, arm's length relationship with him even at that point as his editor, more so than any other contributor, I think, that I, that I worked with at the time. And I put that down to the fact that he was very busy, mm-hmm. very important, leading a very big thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's always been my experience. So I've known, I've known him for, uh, you know, 20 something years, but um, always that relationship has always been at arm's length. Mm-hmm. And I think that most people's experience uh, of Mike Pilavacci was the same, that you, you weren't in the inner circle, so you, you really didn't know him very well at all. And so you know, even to the point, people might assume because we, um, we're taking on the baton with satellites of the Soul Survivor Festivals that there would have been, you know, intensive coaching and mentoring and lots of long phone calls and things. Again, I'm not being defensive. There just wasn't any of that. No. But we had, we had two or three conversations in person across the whole of the handover yeah. between Soul Survivor and satellites. So um, they're really, you know, that was a very arm's length thing. Now, all that time, and this is like you, you toss these things around over in your in your mind, don't you? All that time, there were behaviors and things about the way that Soul Survivor operated mm. and the way particularly that, that Mike Pavacci led Soul Survivor that were little, little flag, little red mm. flag, tiny red flags, little things that you thought... Um, Gosh, that's a bit. It's a bit weird the yeah. way they do that. Well, that's yeah. a bit. It's a bit annoying the way that they do that. It's yeah. a bit difficult to to work with or engage with. A lot of it to do with distance, actually. A lot of it to do with not being able to get closer on the inside of conversations. Um, but again, you would you wouldn't have named them as red flags at the time. And one of the reasons for that is because, and let's let's talk about this after the interview. Actually, one of the reasons for that was 
we all know that so much good happened at Soul Survivor. Yes. That yes. the Lord did yeah. so much at Soul Survivor. One of the reasons why this is so painful and complicated mm. uh, is that we are struggling to separate out the good and the bad from one another. And so I think you excuse an awful lot of things um, because of the greater good that seemed to be going on. And I yeah. think that's that's one of the reasons why this um, context was allowed to emerge. And that's happening psychologically, subconsciously, because I, I would agree with that, but that almost sounds like people are seeing something that their brain is saying that is bullying and they're choosing, ah, oh, but people become Christians. I don't think the thought pattern in people's head at the front of their head was oh no he's really horrible man yeah oh but young people become christians no, absolutely not i think it's way more complex than that and I, and I think it's worth saying this inner circle thing because i i, I think mike had a i think there was a distance with everybody which yeah. which is why i think it is so complex to unpack who knew what yeah because i think we all in one several saw the same thing i remember one time it was when um I went to speak one time at Soul Survivor and Andy and Ali weren't there. So it wasn't at the Shepton Mallet showground. It's one of the, when they were sort of moving out to other spaces. And I was doing a Sunday, a Saturday morning preach, I think, or a morning preach at Soul Survivor. And I didn't want to end with ministry. I wanted to end with the young people all jumping up and dancing and just being completely stupid. And I do remember after that, Mike absolutely being like, you've ruined that, Rachel. You've absolutely ruined it. That was awful. And I remember being completely crushed. Now, mm -hmm. any other event that I speak at, if I'd have been spoken to like that, I'd yeah. have thought, oh, okay, bit controlling. Yeah. Uh, it's your event, that's fine. But because Soul Survivor... My experience of Soul Survivor wasn't just I'm speaking at your event. This felt like the thing that that made youth ministry plausible in the UK. Yes. It was our pilgrimage. Yeah, it really so was. although we knew people ran it and we had no say over what it was, we'd come and do our things, there was a sense of real honor because you got to see God doing something on a huge scale. Mm. And so mm. that and I remember just being on the phone to someone afterwards and just being like, I can't believe oh no, I ruined it. Looking back, I'm like, no, I trust my instinct. My idea was great. Yeah. <laughs> it was really yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, but I think because we also saw somebody who was very good at connecting with young people who, um, so I, yes, yeah, so it is profoundly complex how to unpick this. Mm. And I think when we talk about the collective trauma that we all feel, it is towards those who've been the victims of this, but it is also towards, you know, can we trust ourselves? Yeah, We're the people that kind of say, you should trust us because we're the youth workers. Yes. Can we trust ourselves? The very place that we brought young people to, was at the heart that there was something at the heart of it. God was doing extraordinary stuff through it, but there was also something else yeah, that yeah. we kind of saw, but we had no way of in within that. The system wasn't big enough to help us identify it. And it's, it's a painful thing for us to carry. It really is. So we're going to have a little think about that, um, uh, collective experience mm. of, um, well, well, we'll hear in a moment about the word trauma, but certainly this, um, extraordinary situation, which is, let's, let's face it, the, the biggest thing to hit youth ministry and, you know, hit is probably the, the right word, mm. um, in certainly in all the time that I have been part of it. And, um, it is, it, it is an extraordinary thing to have gone through. And, um, so we need an extraordinary person to help us navigate it. And you, you, uh, spoiler alert, I've already heard this interview because we've already recorded it. <laughs> this is a brilliant interview, um, with the wonderful Reverend Dr. Kate Middleton, uh, who just is an expert in this stuff and helps us, really helps us to, um, to navigate this 
very complicated um, emotional experience that many of us are having. Uh, this is absolute gold. Uh, so just, in, just, just enjoy listening to uh, Dr. Kate. Kate, can you uh, help us to understand what might be going on inside us as leaders when we witness the fall of someone that we've looked up to as a leader with with influence? Yeah, thanks, Rachel. It's interesting, isn't it? Because there are so many words that come from sort of psychology and that field now that are bounced around, perhaps a little bit too freely sometimes in, in our media spaces. But one of them would be trauma. So trying to understand what we mean by trauma and, and more importantly, why we feel traumatized or we feel like we've had a really powerful emotional reaction to something and we're not sure why. And I, and I guess... The short answer when we're looking in this sort of space, some trauma is really obvious, isn't it? If you've had something horrendous happen to you or you've witnessed something or been a direct victim of something, it's more easy to understand why you feel traumatized. But when you're looking in from the outside or something's affected you in a more general way, often what people struggle with is understanding why they've had the emotional reaction they have. And the thing is, as human beings, particularly the older we get once we come out of adolescence when everything's still a bit up for grabs we we've built our life on certain foundational stones if you like or a bit like jenga jenga blocks there mm. are things that our stability leans on their understandings about ourselves their understandings about the world for people of faith big understandings about our faith and god and just like in Jenga, there are some of those blocks you can sort of play around with and poke and change and move around, and that's okay. We, we've got enough sort of overall stability to manage that. But sometimes something gets pulled out that was just more load-bearing, and, and then everything starts to feel wobbly, or it might even feel like the whole thing could fall down. And that's what we're talking about here, something that happens that for some reason all the shifting, all the changing, all the questioning has left us feeling really wobbly like like the whole structure of what we built could fall and that pushes your mind into a sort of management space where you've got to try and hunker down stabilize everything and then gradually start to process you know what does this mean mm. can we rebuild do we need to change the way that we're doing life and all of that is what we're talking about when we're saying that we feel traumatized i think talking with youth leaders over the last few months i think it's been really clear sort of seeing that people are feeling that sense of something that might carried or soul survivor carried that felt so meaningful and quite sort of shaping the landscape really for youth ministry can, can we dig into a little bit about like the last few months and, and how the how the news of this has been processed and and just what that might do that that kind of big open space where there was an investigation happening and so people couldn't talk about things but obviously people were aware things were happening and it was largely happening on social media and then and then you know the silence is that a kind of a fabric yeah all that kind of stuff what what else is going on there Kate that how might that be impacting us as well as a as a bunch of leaders yeah one of the challenges with collective trauma so we're lots of people are going through the same thing is that we don't experience it in the same way we, we saw this in the pandemic really interesting some people 
didn't find it that traumatic at all. Other people, it hit them really hard. But the speed that we go through different stages is very much different, depending on how things have hit us and how significant it is. And lots of other factors like our own background, how close we are to the situation, all sorts of things. And so I think the challenge is that people are in different places. So when any big news breaks or something happens, some people will be thrown into an immediate crisis response. And that's when your mind basically shuts down. It's a big reaction for you. And you're, you go into a very instinctive mode of seeking safety, of not feeling able to talk about it, of needing to retreat, stay silent. Of course, in a situation where it's a safeguarding instance, there's issues around confidentiality as well. That means some people may be limited in what they can and can't say. Meanwhile, some other people, that stage is either fleeting or it doesn't happen so much, and they're straight into the next stage, which is really when you have come out of that initial crisis and you're starting to need to process, you need to understand what happened. And that is a space that's about conversation, about trying to find spaces where you can talk about what's happened, safe spaces where you can start to try and understand and put together the meaning of this for you and the wider context that something's happened in. And, and I think what has what happens very often is that those two things can clash. So some people are very much needing to have those conversations and other people are very upset and triggered by those conversations, mm. triggered meaning it triggers a lot of emotion for them. And, and that can create quite a tense, quite a conflict sort of um, interaction between some of those people. And we've seen some of that happening on social media or, or just a frustration from people who are needing to talk about this and wanting to have good, healthy conversations, but, but finding that other people aren't ready to or aren't able to do that. And that's very tricky. And of course, the third thing is, where do we have those conversations? Mm. And, and, you know, I, I'm I'm on Twitter and social media and stuff like that, and it's really good for some things. And it is really good for giving a voice to people who don't feel they have a voice mm. elsewhere. And some really important voices have come out, not just on this, on all sorts of topics in the last few years. But but that isn't always the most positive space to have these conversations because some of the other people on there are not so wise about what they share. It can often magnify some of the emotion. And for people who are vulnerable and struggling, that can make it very painful or difficult which means people withdraw and then frustration builds and you know so I think that that's perhaps the challenge when these things happen we've got this mix of people trying to find a good space and a good mm. way to have conversations that are really difficult. I think as well with this particular situation I'm so conscious that the young people that came to Limitless this summer and other different youth festivals and satellites that we run and regional events would probably not really know anything about Soul Survivor, about what's been going on. But there are hundreds of leaders across the country that this summer said, well, we were taking young people to this event. We saw some of this kind of banter on the stage. We 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 don't we didn't realize what else was going on, but can we trust leaders? Can we trust ourselves that we would spot when things are wrong? And 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 I there's that kind of natural instinct in, in human beings, isn't there, for us to kind of go back and sort of really interrogate what what did we see and, and how do we do that right, Kate? Because I think in this instance, we could probably say, yeah, there was some stuff that we saw. But also, we, in hindsight, we are so wise, aren't we? So how, how do we navigate that tension there of dealing mm. with that? And, 
and there's a few things about this sort of situation that make it particularly hard. I think human beings really struggle with with situations that aren't black and white when it comes to other people. So we want things to have that clarity that that something is either one thing or another. People are either all good or they're all bad. And we want to look at our leaders and say they're all good. Or we want to tear them down and say these people are all bad. And what we really struggle with is the uncomfortable reality that is all of us are, we're all flawed. Mm. We're all messy people. And and that's the amazing story of God's kingdom that he chooses to act. You know, that divine, Mm. perfect, amazing, beautiful love from God chooses to act through flawed, messy human beings. And we would like to make that so much simpler that there's just this small subset of amazing people who we raise up to these spaces because they're much better than we know we are. And then we make them all good. And something like this happens and it just blows all that apart. So we have to understand what it means to to, to, to hold the tension of those two realities. Yeah. You know, we have an amazing God, but he chooses to work through flawed, frail people. Mm-hmm. We have to sort of somehow hold what we understand about God and the divine separate in our minds from what we know about people and the church, which is, of course, made up of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like holding our sense of calling and, and what the Spirit is doing in our lives alongside what it means to hold that in a broken culture. Mm-hmm. These are all these are all emotionally really, really complex. And then the second thing I think is, as we look in on that broken culture, when we sometimes see patterns that we've we've come to realise are, are not healthy, we have to understand and process something really difficult about the part that we have all played and maybe continue to play in those cultures. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you raise someone up as a celebrity they need an audience and part of our human nature is that we we're all drawn into that sort of space because we so long for for something of that to be true Mm. and and because being a part of it helps us to feel good and maybe we gain confidence from that Mm. you know there's also something called the bystander effect in psychology, which which in broad strokes talks about how much less likely we are to act in something if the uh, lots of other people around us seem to not be acting. Mm. So it's surprising and easy to be swept along and dismiss things or think, well, that must be okay, or to look to other significant people and think, well, they they seem okay with it, so it's probably it, it must just it must be okay. Mm. And and again, the complexity of trying to process that looking back with hindsight and thinking, I think I made a mistake. Mm. I think maybe I was caught up in something. I wanted to be one of those people. I was more vulnerable than I wanted to be. Mm. Maybe looking back at things that we think, I wish I'd done something different. And and I would say here, what we've got to do is the temptation is just to become part of a tearing down. You know, we talk a lot about deconstructing. There's a lot of that around. And, And just to tear things apart, including ourselves. And, and we must do that where it's important, not not tearing down maybe, but but a really good intricate exploration of what went wrong, you know, with human wisdom, with spiritual wisdom, understanding our own errors, you know, the, the, the things that maybe we could have done differently, the things that God is speaking to us about. Yeah. But we can't stop there. We, we have to build up because, you know, 
it's so easy just for us to go to the negative end of the binary scale and just say it's all lost, it's all broken, it's all terrible. But, you know, this world needs Jesus. Young mm. people need to hear the message of, of, of God in this, somewhere in our messy humanity. Mm. So I think we have to be self-aware, honest and wise enough to do the teasing apart and find the stuff that was unhealthy, that maybe the Lord is calling us to change. But we have to be courageous and tenacious enough to stay in the game, to Absolutely. rebuild. I, one of my big concerns coming out of this, Rachel, is I'm, I'm seeing a, a generation, particularly of the, the sort of younger leaders, who, who I think were already, let's face it, because the, the problem isn't that everything was fine and then something happened and, and it all fell apart. I think there was a lot of struggle in church ministry. It's not easy, is it? You know, it's not easy because the world is increasingly broken. It's not easy because we've got generations grown up who have no contact with the church, who know nothing about the message of the Bible. It's not easy because there's some big theology that we're trying to figure mm -hmm. out what we do with. It's not easy because finances are stretched. It's not easy because people are stretched and tired and burnt out. And, and on top of that, something then happened. And I'm seeing a lot of young leaders basically questioning now, is this something that I can give my life to mm. and and feeling a real sense of calling but not really knowing what to do with that alongside what they're seeing what they've seen the impact they've seen on or probably your and my generation of of leaders and thinking you know am, am I going to be able to 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 carry what I need to carry, to bring the change I need to change. is it, It's a huge risk to give my mm. life to this. Is is that actually something I want to do? And, and we need those leaders in the church. You know, one of the things that often happens is that it's the most authentic people who look at that really perfect, polished image of what celebrity leadership is, which good grief, you and I know isn't church leadership, is it? We mostly look <laughs> right mess most days. But, but, but people look at that and think, well, I, I'm not that. I could never be that. And, and those people are the ones perhaps most likely to think, well, you know, maybe this just isn't me. Maybe I'm, it's a mistake. God can't be calling me. And, and let, to the, any of you listening who are thinking, yeah, yeah that's me. We need you. We the need kingdom you. needs yeah. you. We yeah. need honest, authentic people who are just passionate about God and the way God has changed their lives and just love young people and love the church and want to change it for the better. So, so we need you and I and our generation Rachel we need to mm. to grow to create a church culture and context that those people can thrive in and grow in and release everything that they're carrying for God but we need them not to count themselves out mm. well let's talk about leadership then because you've you've used the phrase celebrity leaders and I think that is something that's coming out of this like oh my goodness we we all knew it we all knew this was not good to have celebrity leaders but it's kind of brought it back home again the difference between celebrity leaders and charismatic leaders there will always be leaders who are profoundly charismatic as personalities they draw others do you do you think leadership sort of takes on the the kind of the flavor of a generation our generation who are mm -hmm. kind of like the gen x not very good at self-care just you know come on we can do this we can do this are we more likely to be raising up slightly those hero leaders that we think yeah look and and does an, an emerging generation almost have to kind of re-correct that and offer leadership in a different way or do you think in every generation there's a risk that you know individuals will always be put on pedestals and actually we need to create systems that are going to be larger than the individuals that you know that can actually deal with it what, what's your reflection on leadership 
as a doctor reverend. <laughs> Generational psychology is so interesting, isn't it? And and I think like all of these things, we can become over obsessed with them and sort of they, they become the thing that steers us rather than using the wisdom and insights to, to help us understand what's going on. So, you know, there's a limit to these things, but particularly where there's been a big change in a generation, it's, 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 I think it's wise to think about how that shaped us. And, and yes, you know, you're in my generation of the church. It's been an interesting time, hasn't it? You know, things like the internet, social media have created a completely new potential for celebrity culture mm. that just wasn't there before. And things like, you know, gosh, we're the, we're the generation, aren't we, Rachel? You know, the first big brother, you yeah. know, flying oh, yeah, the wall documentaries. Yeah. I mean, those things just didn't exist a generation ago. And what that did create is that, so as psychologists, we would talk about the sort of egocentric space, you know, I am the story, I am the centre of what's going around. And it was quite a new way to see the world. You know, phones created the phenomena of a selfie. Until then, you just took a picture of, you know, the Eiffel Tower. It wasn't you in front of it. You just took a picture of the thing or maybe maybe a loved one in front of it. But this was this was new and it's really interesting. And we, we talked about trauma as a possibly overused word. I would say another one that we need to be cautious about right now is is the N word, the narcissism word. Ah, tell because us more. We hit, it's one of those sort of pop psychology diagnoses, which which suddenly you know people are slightly prone to diagnosing you know everyone they see on TV on social media and they're maybe nearest and be- nearest and dearest on a bad day. Um, it, it's popping up a lot now, so I think we have to be careful of overusing what is is actually a diagnostic term. Uh-huh. But but there is a there is a all personality variables that they they have a range, and there's definitely a pattern of of personality for some people, which is about somebody who it's a combination of of not having having a, a solid central foundational understanding of yourself and instead in this culture that offers you the opportunity to create you know a, a brand an aspirational sort of image of, of yourself of, of the organizational context that you work in and that can become something that for, for, for some people becomes a sort of unhealthy way of managing something that underneath they're struggling with if that makes sense mm-hmm. and that's the beginning of the range of what can then become, you know, an actual clinical disorder. But but we have to understand for most people, we're not talking about something that's that's at that diagnostic yes. end. I wish I'd spoken to you in the summer because I went on holiday with my lovely family and I was like, I've got to take a book. So I took The Psychopath Test by John Ronson, if you've read it. <laughs> well, that's another really interesting exactly one. Yes. You said. So I was re- I mean, so he's, he's such a great journalist and he writes so funnily and it's a combination of really hilarious conspiracy theory, but also, you know, psychobabble around um, psychology. You would, you would either love it or you'd hate it Kate but I was reading it and I was like oh my six year my six year old has these <laughs> tendencies and my 11 now my husband and I was just like analyzing everybody so I wish I had listened to you before but you're absolutely right about that I think for those you know as youth ministers I when I meet youth workers and youth ministers we are, I don't use the word incarnate because only, only Jesus is incarnate, takes on flesh and blood. We are embodied, but we, we embody the gospel and we are, 
we want to be with young people in their spaces and not a barrier to them encountering Jesus, um, just a real encourager and champion. But we also care deeply and we also see patterns in young people's lives and we also spend lots of time with them and it can be quite frustrating when they're making the same mistakes every day. And so that, that kind of slightly maternal or paternalistic kind of, don't do that, do it this way. And, and we're constantly working out how do we best nurture these young people in faith in a way that doesn't leave them to the stuff on their own, but also doesn't impose our ideas, our agenda on them. So just like coming out of all of this stuff with Soul Survivor mm. and Mike, like what is good wisdom for us to think? How do we how do we sharpen young people's lives in ways that is really healthy? I have every faith that we're all doing that, but I think that often is a fear that comes out of this, that somehow we're not getting this right either. And our young people could get to 25 and turn back and say to us, well, actually actually what you what you said there or what you did there actually that was quite controlling or that that do you know what I mean we, we have that kind of anxiety don't we around this stuff mm. I think yeah and I think there's some aspects of our of, of our culture that we probably do need to explore um and and develop and evolve in this season and definitely support and pray for the people who are involved in that sort of above us but even mm. down on the ground thinking Brilliant. about what that means so for example authenticity and how we hold that as leaders and how we hold that with the young people that we're supporting Try, trying not to build a brand but that sort of treading that fine line between authenticity and and sort of splurging far too much which is which is interesting how, how mm. much do we share with young people about the reality of what you know what our life is maybe our own brokenness the things that we struggle with so trying not to get drawn into that temptation to create a polished version of ourselves and exploring and chatting about some of these issues with young people mm. i i think there's other things we can be really careful about that there's and there's a really interesting conversation this is this is a bit of a personal interest of mine but around some of the language that we use in church culture from for really good intention but that that can create something potentially quite difficult so we use a lot of family language in church context so we'll draw young people in and we'll say you know welcome home welcome to the family, come join the family. And what, what we mean by that is join the big family of God. There's a beautiful mm. truth behind that about something about how as people of God in our difference and diversity, we are drawn together into something with God as father that, that draws us in, in equality and, oh, it's just yeah. beautiful. The, the risk is, is that we're using language that psychologically is really powerful. And, and it is language that, of course, Paul in the New Testament used a lot. But in those in that era, it was used in culture to refer to, to a household. So a, a sort of description that included people who were linked in, in ways that weren't all just intimate emotional links. It was sort of almost a practical description. But in our culture, family is a it's it's a much more intimate descriptive word. And it really refers in normal life to the closest inner circle that we hold. So the risk of just using that without a, an appropriate awareness, it, it creates um, this sort of instant mm. dissonance for people because you're, you're saying I'm part of your family, but I'm actually part of a church of, you know, 30, 50, mm. 100, depending how big your church is. One of the things that that 
that we know from study of this is that that also can create the, the formation of a sort of a model group in a church or an organization that becomes the kind of the aspirational model everybody just desperately wants to be part of. They want to belong to it. It's like an elite group because we talk about family, but there's clearly this group who are the, the leaders or the, the in people or whatever it is. And everybody wants to be part of that. Parasocial relationships. That's a bit of a jargony word describing the, the relationships we get into people into with the people who interact with us on social media. That that can create a similar thing. It's that yearning to be part of something, and that's most powerful for those who are most vulnerable. And and there's there's even research that suggests those people will overlook their own well-being. They will overlook warning, red flags, instincts that tell them not to do things or that things are unhealthy just to be part of that group it's such mm. a powerful psychological need so wow. so we've got to be careful about how we use that language i think and and that and there are other examples as well in our culture where the wisdom that we can draw in from other spaces like psychology sociology perhaps about our culture but also about us personally mm. so do you know what are our frailties what are the things that might make us vulnerable at being drawn into something that's perhaps not a, not, not mm. a spiritually healthy space, not an, a, a, in human terms, an emotionally healthy space? But also, are there things about us that might mean we might not be healthy for other people? And, and that self-awareness, that understanding, that hard work is, is what formation is. And some leaders will have done that really deliberately through training or ordination or perhaps with a spiritual director, but, but others don't get the opportunity or might you know, find that really hard, so avoid it. And I think there mm. are things that we can do individually too. It's one of those situations where the most helpful thing you can do to help other people might be something that you do with yourself. Oh, <laughs> um, and, and perhaps as people drawn to care for young people, we're a bit prone to just wanting to get down there and look out for them. And it's going to take some discipline to reflect and work on things for us instead mm. but actually that is indirectly about serving them that's brilliant oh kate that's absolutely brilliant and uh, while kate was saying that the squeaks were her little dog working oh, on no, a little squeaky toy no that's right i just i'd let people I know what the squeaks are time i think he feels he has issues that i'm not not dealing not with him. well if you could hear some but squeaks from here it's producer david the dog is fine. <laughs> the dog is fine. we love a bit of dog talk on the podcast so one last question for you kate and thank you so much for just speaking so clearly so, so helpfully because there are things that we can unpack and learn and good observation of our practice and our motives and the language that we use what what would be the most helpful thing? Do you think for us as the community now, as you talked about sort of corporate trauma, was that the or, or collective trauma? Yeah, collective trauma, yeah. What, what's this next stage that we're in? Like how can we serve each other well and the future yeah, of youth ministry? So I think a really, a really valuable thing to do, which is partly what we're doing here, is can we create safe spaces to have some of these conversations, to do yeah. this processing and to do it well? That That's not easy at, at any age. And it's easy for all of us to be drawn in 
to doing that in spaces that aren't helpful. When you're in that processing stage, it's quite an, a need psychologically. So if you don't create a good place to do it, you might find that you just end up doing it. So you know, you do, when you you meet someone, you just you look back and you think, gosh, I just splurged yes. out all this stuff yes. with that person. And if we're lucky, we have good people in our life who hold that stuff wisely. But sometimes we might get drawn into doing that unwisely or doing it too much. If we can create spaces for people to do that safely, we can really serve them well. And because we can protect them from doing it in the spaces that might be less helpful. So I think we can do that for ourselves as leaders, having these sorts of conversations, but also for young people. I, I think young people are asking some really good questions right now. And to honor that, to respect that, but also to, to really value it and create safe spaces for them to do that well, to, 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 to teach them and help them dig into what they're exploring more. So mm. if they're talking about some difficult theology, you know, let, let's talk to them about all these different sides yes, and perspectives yeah. so they can explore and understand it better. I, I, I think doing that really well is, is something that we can bring to this moment of, of, of the church feeling a bit shaken. helpful stuff from Reverend Dr. Kate and her dog. Uh, just at points there in the background. Very sweet dog. Um, with his a squeaky little toy. face popped up. <laughs> I can see his little hairy eyebrows. We um we said we would talk a little bit about um and I and we may have a few more things to talk about actually today. Uh, we said we would talk a little bit about how you make sense of what the Lord was doing yeah. at Solsavar. And I think it's just really important to say that the Lord was profoundly at work yeah. through Soul Survivor. Yeah. And we know, you know, Kate said this, you know, God chooses to work through flawed people. Like that yeah. is a biblical Flawed's principle yeah. that God works through flawed people and systems and, uh, and yet does incredible things. Mm. And we saw we were not deceived, mm. but, you know, what we saw God do in our lives and the lives of young people, some of, some of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen took place yeah. at Soul Survivor. They did happen. They were real. They yeah. were God. Yeah. And I think it's really important to yeah. re keep reminding ourselves of that because the easiest thing to do, and this is why lots of people are understandably deconstructing their mm. entire faith identity mm. because of what's happened. It's really important to keep reminding ourselves that, that God was profoundly at work through Soul Survivor. Yes, absolutely. And so much of that also was happening on the campsite, yep. was happening in the skate park. Well, there were thousands of people yeah. involved in putting it on. <laughs> absolutely. And the journeys that, and I think what one of the beautiful legacies of Soul Survivor is that the amount, when you think about the army of, of adults across the country who are praying for young people, who are prepping that week away, who are getting the tents, who are centering young people in their heart, in the ministry of their church, yeah. even the practical things of getting them on a coach and getting them into a campsite. And I remember hilarious stories of like on the, on, you know, the Shepton Mallet showground, not now, in satellites, it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's fine. Then Doesn't it was fly like ever. just quagmire and just, bri just brilliant moments. And I think the mm. pilgrimage element, I think that's, we're, our generation of youth leaders and the ones below us, we're not going to let go of that anytime no. soon because we just, we just know that in the mud of a field, when lots of young people get together, that beautiful social dynamic mm. the holy spirit does something mm. powerful mm. with that and mm. i think 
there, there will always be kind of that fear in us of when you get lots of young people together and it's the emotionalism that takes over. Yeah. Well, guess what? God made emotions. And actually, there's something really fabulous about those times of God yes. lighting up young people's drive and emotions and, and, and why like why not why not yeah, of so course. i think there's a big expansive yeah territory and, here and and you know it is obviously natural to say if you put lots of young people in a room together and hype them up hypey things are going to happen but actually if you if you ask young people to step out of the thing they do normally and spend five days worshipping, yeah. praying, reading it's scripture, asking the yeah. Lord to meet with them, well, of course that's going to happen. Yeah. Of course that's going to happen. It's not hype. No. It's young people intentionally putting their focus on the God who is real. Absolutely. And actually dialing down everything else just for a few days. And of course, God speaks. Of course, God moves. And we, you know, we should be excited yeah. about that, not trying to find some psychological phenomena that explains yeah, it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I wish more adults were like that. I wish when adults got together, it was more exciting. Yeah. It's very boring. Yeah. Well, together. they just, they just. I mean, <laughs> can I say this? Yes, I, I'm going to. One of the interesting differences between youth festivals and adult festivals is, and I've found this from trying to book showgrounds, that uh, that you, the adult festivals they make an absolute fortune on the bar. <laughs> And I, yeah, you laugh, <laughs> yeah. you laugh, but there's something yeah, there. There is there's something there, and I'm like, I'm just not. Yeah. I don't love that. No. I just, I love the fact that these festivals are dry festivals. I mean, yeah. of course, young people are young people, and therefore they're not yeah. entirely dry. But we but do there our youth best. Workers on site. We do our best as yes. youth workers to make them dry sites, and I think that's. I think honestly, young people just for for four or five days just focusing on on God. Yeah. Why would we be surprised? Can that I God tell moves you a little, little story? So this is about this is from satellites, but I think we're talking about legacies here. Satellites is brilliant. Is that we're talking about legacy here? So, um, so the young people that we brought from Blackburn down to Shepton Island, so it's a long way, yeah. and they loved it. Their main complaint was there were no beds on the coach, little monkeys. So, um, so they just wanted to have beds and it's when they sleep. They they loved it, but we got got them down to. Uh, to, to um, satellites and they were engaging with stuff a little bit they were coming to the sessions they're doing really really well but something blew up on the campsite with someone that wasn't on site some kind of disagreement amongst all the girls yeah, nothing and actually blew up no nothing clear. blew up but then we had our little group of young of girls who were there boys as well but the girls suddenly divided yeah. over the old territory lines that we have up in Blackburn on the estate and began to really like just hate each other so we sat them down and said girls we could we could do something a bit different here. And one of the girls said, yeah, we could actually be friends. And I sat there in that space thinking, nobody else on the campsite will know. Mm. I'm going to get emotional. No one else on this site will realise that right now, this bunch of girls have come from an estate where there is so much violence and the mm. adults fight each other, hate each other. And rather than enacting that on this campsite, they've chosen to forgive. Mm. And they did that. They, and me and the other youth workers were just like, oh, how extraordinary yeah. the practice of grace and forgiveness mm. on that site. Mm. And I think it's for those moments, isn't it, that yeah. we say, of course, justice has to be done. Of course, investigations. Of course, learning from this. Of course, transparency. Absolutely. 
Absolutely, because safeguarding and good practice is not separate to the gospel, it's at the heart of the gospel. But let's also, as you say, let's champion the contested ground here. There is going to be contested ground that you can't ever gather young people. You can't ever trust anyone Mm, that gets on mm, a platform. mm. Actually, those are lies, aren't they? And we can do this differently, but let's let's hold on to that. And and hey, it's been contested from both ends at the moment, by the Mm. way, because there, there are people who are challenging big events. There's a move within the National Youth Agency to ban... Like youth yes. work in private dwellings. Yes. So, uh, yeah, it, these are these are quite um, tumultuous times. Yes, absolutely. Uh, for um, yeah, for spaces. For, what, exactly. That, yeah. that, that, that what would make a space automatically unsafe is an interesting question, isn't it? It's like, that feels like yeah. a watershed yeah, moment, actually. Really yeah. So we wanted to not just leave it there. Mm. We wanted to also talk a, a little bit more uh, reconstructively. Yeah. And start to ask the question, what's next? Now, there's an Im- there's an implicit answer to that in the fact that we're running satellites now. <laughs> and, it, and it might be good. Let me just do that one first. And then I yeah, think maybe I'll let you talk more broadly yeah. about how we, we move on and build after Soul Survivor. So um, the interesting thing about satellites this summer is that we realized that by not really changing anything, we were very different. Mm. And we had always set out to be a bit different anyway. Um, and it turns out that some of the ways in which we'd set out to be different anyway were um, were healthier ways mm-hmm. of doing things. So we don't really do come to the front ministry of mm-hmm. satellites. Uh, we t- we're trying to train young people to um, uh, pray for each other mm-hmm. in a way that is, you know, I, you would probably characterize it as charismatic ministry, but it's replicable. Mm-hmm. So it's something you can take back to your home context. And so one of the beautiful joys of the event was by the end of it, seeing young people in almost every session getting up, praying for each other. In fact, in the last couple of sessions, almost every young person in the room mm. was was praying for someone around them. And that that decentralization, that democratization of ministry, I think is really healthy. It's what we've done at Satellites, but I think it could extend way beyond that. It's not our idea, for goodness mm. sake. Um, but it is a different way of doing ministry, which I think might be really healthy for this for the for the years ahead. Um, we we haven't gone big on sort of big names or celebrities. We've Again, you know, we've we've um, we haven't got one person leading ministry. We have lots of different people. So you might see seven, eight, nine different people mm. lead ministry over the week. Uh, and the focus definitely isn't on that sort of moment of conversion either. Now, I I think conversion moments uh, are really precious and powerful. I think about my own. Mm. Lots of people have that part of their story. Other people don't really have a conversion. They can't really point to a conversion moment. But I think where we're going to judge the success of something like satellites is actually in, and this this may be a bit of a left field turn for some people, um, we're judging success on baptisms mm. and confirmations mm. and, uh, and other markers of, you know, I want to take my faith uh-huh. seriously. Yeah. Not at the festival, but six months later. Yeah. Because what we want to do is create a week in the summer that inspires year-round faith. That does sound very marketing tagline. Sorry, it's mm. one of our marketing taglines. But that is what we want to do. We want to do a week in the summer that isn't about the week in the summer. It's about equipping you to go back home. And I think that is, for all events, but may I be so bold as to say, quite a healthy mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about, there's, there's lots of brilliant things about the week, but it's not about the week. Mm. It's about, you know, God doesn't, does, God doesn't reside at the mountaintop. 
like God goes back with you. He's already there when you go back to your home community in Blackburn. Yeah. And so I think that's a really important thing to bear in mind. It's what it's how we've tried to do things a little bit differently already. Um, we were doing that in in the first place. Um, but it, it feels to me like a journey that the Lord yes. has, has led us on. And hopefully it will be helpful for others. That's brilliant. I, I think... I think what what I would want to see moving forward, whether it's satellites, limitless, DTI, you know, the, the the local regional events that people do, the long walks that you know, youth groups do through the night, whatever your gathered spaces are, I think regular times throughout the year or annual thing becomes a pilgrimage. It becomes a marker point for yeah. young people. So I think you're absolutely right. We're, we're not so obsessed about the conversion moment so much as the memory making stake yes. in the ground yeah. decision, and because a young person will attribute to that a a, a meaning that might be nothing to do with what the person at the front has said, but they just in that moment need to mark this moment. And if we think about John Westerhoff's uh, stages of faith, oh, wow. you know, young people will go from a, a sort of experienced faith. Yeah. This is what it, the faith around me. So our young people that we brought mostly are, they were just experiencing other people's faith around them and they just sort of caught it. Yeah. So it, you, you begin to then identify, oh, that is my faith too, but it's not owned. Then it's a searching faith, then it's an owned faith. And actually what happens for a young person's journey is they might come to satellites one year and it's their first experience of faith, they're blown away. Yeah. The next year they come back they're actually a little bit further along the line. They're now beginning to identify. So the way they access talks, you could put on exactly the same talks, actually. Yeah. And they would access it differently. And then you've got the searching faith. So I think as a as a youth worker, one of our practices needs to be not, did everyone come back saying they had an amazing time? That's a that's a good question to ask. But have these young people come back being a little bit shunted along? Have they noticed yeah. that in the past year? Their faith has progressed. Mm. So I often would say to our team back in North London, the first year we take young people to Soul Survivor in those days, satellites, whatever it is, they will, it will be so different. They will hate it for the first half. Yeah. Then they will love it and they will come back and be the greatest evangelist. Year two is the most dangerous year because they won't have that novelty factor. Mm. And that'll be the year they'll be like, oh, I, the, the second night in, they'll be feeling cold. Like I, I'm not really connecting with this, but that's because they're in a different point in their journey of faith. So I think as well as the events, putting on a brilliant thing and us trusting with the, you guys, we as youth workers need to be mindful that when we're bringing young people into that space, what, what, how are they accessing it this mm. time? And how can mm. we help them access the things in the program or the events that move them forward. So I think we need to make sure that we're not consumers of an mm -hmm. event. We are really mindful looking at the program thinking, right, okay, this young man, I think actually this time he needs to be accessing X, Y, Z. So I think there needs to be, I would like to see moving forward much more of a collaboration between us as youth workers and the folks that are putting on the events yeah. so that we really can together disciple young people. So, And, and of course, it's really important that we don't keep creating these celebrity hero kind of um, stage people. Yeah. You know, Christian celebrity is a sort of well-worn phrase, but we just, we do want to treat our leaders in the same way mm. that we, we treat celebrities. In fact, one of, the, one of the values for all events going forward has got to be holding those microphones less tightly. Mm. And I, I, I lay down this challenge to everybody involved in running events. Uh, if the same people are leading all the, fest the, the festivals and are um, uh, doing all the talks in five years' time, 
then we've just not mm. learned anything. Mm. And there are stories you can tell yourself. I can imagine myself five years from now creating my own narrative for why I should still be uh, the, the person preaching or, mm. or, or leading. There are stories you tell yourself, but honestly, they are self-created, mm. right? The Lord continues to raise up brilliant young people, young leaders, older leaders mm. who, who are ready for that experience, who won't hold it too tightly, who could be the next people to steward something well. It doesn't need to be the same people for 30 mm. years. Um, it makes an event, um, you know, uh, impossible to um, hand on. Mm. It means that basically it dies with its founder. And uh, it, it also is a really unhealthy, it creates really unhealthy relationships and power dynamics mm. um, between leaders, young people, other youth, youth leaders. It, it's, there's all sorts of stuff that we could prevent uh, if we learn that lesson. So that is a tough challenge. Yeah. Um, but I think if we, don't, if, if we don't heed it, then we haven't learned the lessons mm. of the sole survivor situation. Big stuff here, isn't it? Big stuff. So lots to learn. But um, we hope you found this helpful, that these two episodes that have been a little bit more of a deep dive into something quite painful, that, that it's felt like it's opened up space for you to process. Um, so, you know, take this as you will. Are there some other youth workers around who maybe have felt a similar connection with this and have been carrying this and you could just listen to this episode together with them and just unpack this have a space safe space to explore and it might be that you want to gather a few other youth workers who maybe you've felt the same as you and been watching what's going on with that sense of just heartbreak and you want to listen to the the interviews and and just chat it through yourselves like give yourself time to process and to talk about this and then you know may, maybe you're involved with with leadership of a local event or a gathering of young people and just asking yourself the questions what what What's coming out of this? What do you want to be doing differently and um, and, and helping young people reach beyond us? We want young people to reach beyond us to Jesus, don't we? And that is our heart and God has called us. He knows what he has in us, but he also um, is there with his Holy Spirit, inspiring us, guiding us, gently challenging us. um, Because we long to see the young people in our communities meet Jesus. That's Mm. what this is all about, isn't it? So we just really hope these two episodes have just really equipped you for the vital task that you have in, in sharing the gospel. If this is your first time connecting with the Escape podcast, I should just say we normally do jokes, funny stories. We've <laughs> got a little joke book. Yeah, we, we do. Well, we try and it's a bit more lighthearted than this. So yeah. the, the, it felt like this particular topic needed yeah. a little bit more gravitas, um, but uh, which we've attempted. We, we have attempted. attempted. I think we've done well. It might be unraveling right now. But um, but if this you know if this is your first uh, entry into the world of the Escape podcast, we'd love to see you next time um, as we interview another guest, not about the subject, but as we continue to unpack our theme for this series into god knows what 